A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Eureka, the show that gets under the skin of science in such a good way as we invite a new expert every week to help us answer one of science's most interesting questions as scientifically decided by us and what we define as interesting. Isaac Asimov once said, the most exciting phrase in science is not Eureka, but that's funny. Respectfully, Isaac, we think you can have a bit of both. I'm Rick Edwards and this is my long-term partner. Oh, Nice, um, it's it? almost a promotion, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Michael Brooks here, brains of the outfit. Every time you say brains of the outfit, you're smirking because you know it isn't true. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rick, uh, been enjoying the weather? I mean, sort of ish. You? This time of year is not great for the garden. You know, I'm in the, I'm in the garden <laughs> a lot, obviously, because I, you know, I work so hard. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you are 10 years older than me. Yeah. But when you say things like, I worry about the garden, you seem about 30 years older. <laughs> Just say <so you> no. Know. <laughs> but what about my, what is it? What's your favourite bush? What about uh, my got, rhododendrons? I've, I've, got a, I've got a magnolia tree that I'm, I'm particularly attached to. Right, that'll do. Oh, I'm a magnolia tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, water. right, you know, exactly, exactly. You know, this time of year, you can't rely on the water. So, um, it's, you know, it's not just about having nice weather. It's about having the right kind of, you know, environment for your garden. And then... Stop going on about your garden. <laughs> <laughs> and then, right, I got an email mm-hmm. uh, about... World Water Bertie Week. Bertie Big Bollocks got an email, didn't he? <laughs> World Water Week, right. So so every year, scientists get together, they gather in, in Stockholm, they're talking about all the global issues with the oceans and about like access to water across the world. And then, yeah, oh. And then I was reading something about the, the Ukraine war and how the first thing the Russians did was basically take control of the North Crimean Canal and blow up a dam so that their crops, basically, in, that are in Crimea could be watered. You know, and, like, water's just everywhere in my mind at the moment. No, I mean, you are, <laughs> to, to be clear, a barrel of laughs. <laughs> well, you know... Um, so I'm assuming, then, we're going to talk about water this we week. We are going to talk about water this week because it's insane how much water matters. And, and basically, you have to wonder how long we're going to have enough of it to go around. In East Anglia and southeastern Britain, it's been one of the driest springs ever. And while some might be enjoying the early barbecues and picnics, it's not been good news for those who rely on those April showers, like our farmers. Next tonight, it's here. After months of drought warnings, a hosepipe ban officially began in parts of our region today. We begin tonight with the oppressive heat wave in the west, intensifying the already critical drought. A lack of rain 
accompanied by heat waves. This is the worst drought to hit South Africa since 1982. Millions are facing water shortages. Picture the Sahara, the world's largest hot desert. There's endless yellow sand that stretches across plains and hills, an oppressive heat that seems to come from all angles. There's hardly any shade. And of course, very little water. Half of the Sahara Desert receives less than 50 millimetres of rain every year, with some areas never seeing any rain at all. This is an image of what our world could look like without water. So can you imagine what you'd do to stop this happening where you live? Wars have been fought over less important resources. So how far would you go to ensure that water flows through your tap, that you have unlimited access to clean drinking water? How far should we go? Could the scarcity of an essential resource necessary for our survival be the cause of the next international conflict? That is our question today. Will the next war be about water? So water, it's everything, right? I mean, I mean, you know that. As a human being, you're like mostly water. Any idea of the percentage? Uh I'm going to say like 80, but maybe that's a bit high. That is high. A newborn baby is 78% water, which is quite a good stat, isn't yeah. it? And then slowly desiccates. <laughs> Just drying out. So I'm probably like got less water than you have. But um, You look like you have. Yeah. <laughs> like um, a walnut. <laughs> um, adults are about 55 to 60% water. Okay. I quite like that. Um, obviously, it's essential. I mean... You know, we'll know this from our science knowledge. You know, biology basically works via water. You don't get biology working without it. So Good transport system, isn't it? it? It's fantastic. I mean, it's just sort of everything, really. It guides molecules, how they bond with DNA. Um, it helps proteins to fold. And, you know, and actually, I mean, we couldn't exist without some of water's weird properties, like the fact that ice expands. So water expands on freezing which means it's less dense, which means it floats on top of the ocean. Which is really weird. It's the only you, substance that does yeah, it. Yeah. I can't, I, I used to, you know what, I used to know why as well, and I can't remember. Oh, it's you, to do with you, the hydrogen bonds and to do with the, the, something to do with the sort of way that the the molecules link up together. So you've got H2O binding to H2O with a couple of spare electrons from the um, oxygen molecule. And, um, and it all sort of adds up to it just sort of, you know, being slightly further apart than when it's liquid. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the it's not the best explanation I've ever heard. Well, you know, I mean, it's. I don't know that we want to get into the, like, the details <laughs> no. of the chemistry here. Do no, we? fine, fine. Do we fine. really? No, but the point don't. is that if it sank, like every other solid, it would be more dense than than the liquid. Mm -hmm. Then you basically have oceans frozen solid, and that would be that. There'd be no life. So, you know. sure, actually. Really thought about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mad. I mean, that one fact, that one sort of thing about the hydrogen bonds. Basically allows, allows everything. everything to exist on Earth. Wow. It's quite mad, isn't it? Yeah. Another question for you. How much water do you think you use every day? Oh, um, as in how much I drink? Or... No, give me litres, just your household use. Oh, oh okay. Uh, is this including sort of like the production of like my clothing or anything like no, that? No, 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 no. Literally no, just, just day-to-day day life okay, yeah. in the house. Um... 120 litres. Oh, that's not a bad guess. Not a bad guess. The average person in the UK uses 142 litres per day. 
if they've got a meter. If they haven't got a water meter, it's 166. Of course it is. Just leave the tanks yeah, running. Of course yeah. you do. <laughs> yeah, fuck them. <laughs> so average family of four in the UK is about 500 litres a day. I looked up my water bills. We're at like 565 litres on average. So I had a big go at my family over that, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> like you take too long in the shower. Get out of the shower. I'm going to put a, a clock in the shower so you can time yourself. They were having none of it, obviously. I mean, it goes without saying that I love hearing you talk about water, but have we enlisted an expert as well? Uh, yes, of course we have. Yeah, we've spoken to Dr. Benjamin Pohl, who's the head of the Climate Diplomacy and Security Programme at Adelphi. So he works on um, water management policy right. uh, and basically addressing you know the challenges of security and development, and all that kind of stuff. Because what we're really talking about is not you know personal water use no. in our houses, but like what is the global situation with water? What did we ask him first? So the first thing we asked him was, just how scarce is water? Well, if you're in the desert, it's very scarce. I mean, I think the normal um, sort of uh, water scarcity um, cutoff is, uh, is, is, is usually calculated as 1,000 cubic meters per year per person. And obviously, that's still a lot. So this is not about, uh, you know, that's not a threat to having enough water to drink. But uh, most of the water is actually used for agriculture. And depending on the technology you're using, and especially if you're not using um, much technology but are faced with a lot of evaporation, you do need a lot of water for that. So it's, um, uh, you know, the, the scarcity is, is, is very relative. But in many regions of the world, there's been a huge increase in demand for water. Due to agriculture, due to population growth, due to also um, greater industrial use, and so it's um, over time it's become much more uh, much scarcer. So basically, there should be enough water to go around, but there isn't. Um, hmm. I mean, it's it's not fairly distributed. So um, obviously, all the water that we need we get from lakes and rivers and streams, but half of the world's important rivers are now significantly polluted or depleted. So you know they're just drying up, and then you know you get drought, so you get failed rainfall. All of a sudden, you know you just got nothing going on. Uh, but the thing is that that like you know there's actually so little water available. So ninety seven point five percent of all the water on Earth is either salt water or polluted water now. So so you've got 2.5% left. Nearly 70% of that is frozen into glaciers, which is, you know, obviously, mm. you know, we want it to stay frozen into glaciers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the polar ice caps. Uh, and actually, it's less than 0.01% of all water worldwide is actually available for human use. So there's there's not... As in drinking water. Yeah, yeah. So, so and, and hygiene water. So, and 70% of that gets used for agriculture. So when you get down to sort of personal hygiene, ability to sort of survive a day without water, once you start start to sort of deplete rivers, pollute rivers, you're in big trouble. So now we've got 40% of the world's population having water scarcity. Three out of 10 people don't have access to safe drinking water. And over 2 billion people live in countries that have high water stress. So that's, you know, that's it's a lot. I mean, the population of the Earth is 7.8 billion, right? Mm. So 2 billion of that having high mm. water stress and 4 billion have high water stress for at least a month of the year. So, you know, there's clearly something sort of going wrong. And we're basically using more, making less available. And, um, and you know, it's, it's sort of a huge problem. And polluting more, presumably. Of course we are. Yeah, yeah. So is it, is it getting worse? 
Yeah, it's it's definitely getting worse. So um, basically, the the water demand is increasing. So we're looking at sort of you know twenty to thirty percent higher by twenty fifty. So it's mm-hmm. sort of climbing mm-hmm. quite considerably. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you know we're actually sort of just pollution is as we know just taking over and making it harder and harder to to use the water that we do have. So um, yeah, it's not it's not great. I'm but, hoping this isn't a stupid question, but it also might be. Is there a finite amount of water? Yes, there is. Good. I'm glad that's not stupid. No, no, it's not. It's a good question, isn't it? So some of the water on Earth comes from comets and, and some of it seems to have naturally been here. Yeah. But it's not coming in from outer space. I mean, it's literally... It's, it's sort of a closed system, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The water cycle is just yeah. sort of... It just goes round I mean, you learn it in geography, round. don't you, at yeah. school? You do the yeah. water cycle and it's boring and you just think, oh, God, I've got to draw the clouds, draw the river. And yeah, I remember, this is what I remember from my geography lesson. Yeah. And actually, it turns out this is like a... Draw a lake. Yeah, obviously. Uh, This is a crucial uh, Mm. aspect of humanity that's causing ever-increasing problems, as uh, Dr. Pohl explains. Part of the reason is uh, demographic growth and is that there's uh, more and more people and, and, and obviously there's also a lot of demographic growth in areas where there is not that much water. But then the other part of the equation is, of course, the demand for water, which in many cases is unchecked because water historically has been for free. And so people are used to using as much water as they like. And and obviously that won't hold um, uh, forever because there's more people uh, trying to use it. And there's, of course, also due to technologies, there's a you know, a much greater scale at which we are at which we are using water, and so that's part of the answer. Of course, another part is that uh, hydrological cycles are changing uh, due to climate change. Uh, that's, uh, I think, by comparison, still the smaller impact. But of course, it always depends on where you are on the globe and how dependent you are on the water. And as I said earlier, I mean, it's 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 uh, it's farmers in particular who, who are dependent, and, and and there's not that much flexibility on their end. They need a certain amount of water, otherwise they're in danger of losing their livelihoods. So, presumably, this is where the fear comes from, that you might end up with with conflict. Yeah. If you've got loads of people living in places where water is incredibly scarce, then at some point, people are going to start fighting over it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, taking someone else's water supply is kind of the obvious thing to do, isn't it? Mm. You imagine if we were put in a position where all the taps were turned off, you know, there was no source, but, you know, somebody knew like a place to go, you know, it would quickly sort of get around. You quickly have scuffles breaking out and, you know, you can imagine this, mm. but this actually starts to happen on sort of national scales as well. So about a decade ago, the UN began to introduce a global water convention on transboundary rivers, so those that cross national borders right. and lakes as well. And so far, only 47 countries have actually signed up for it because it's, you know, it's like, well, I don't know if I want to actually mm. be bound by this. Uh, guess who's not on it? Number one country that's not on it? China? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, China is naughty on this. No way in hell China was going to be on it. <laughs> no, I mean, China, I mean, China has, I mean, there's sort of very little incentive to be on it apart from wanting to be seen as a good guy. And I don't think that that's kind of high on the list necessarily. It's not one of the sort of abiding principles of international <laughs> diplomacy. Is but it? also, you know, they've got a couple of important rivers for them that they can use for hydroelectric power that that generate massive amounts of power if they mm. if they put a dam in. Mm. And unfortunately, that means the people downstream are going to get less water. 
I mean, the flow has sort of reduced. So um, there's the Mekong River, yeah. uh, which flows down into Thailand, Laos, uh, Cambodia, and Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And China wants to put a dam in quite high upstream. And uh, <laughs> everyone else is saying, uh, well, is, hold on. No, I'm not really keen on that. But, you know, they're basically going to build this dam. You know, they're, they're, they're going to dam it. They're going to get power out of it. And um, and, and not just... And there's them. nothing those countries downstream can, can do can about it, do? really. Yeah, you basically just do? say, oh, please don't do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or, or ask the international communities to put pressure on China. And we know how well that <laughs> works. Luck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and India, as well, has, has sort of actually had skirmishes with Chinese troops. So on the border border um, over, over rivers. I think it was like in uh, May last year, in fact, 20 Indian soldiers died sort of attempting to sort of protect uh, a, a portion of the river that is just not protectable because it's slightly inside China's border. Hmm. So um, so you get this sort of situation where you know, you've got the Indus and the Ganges and the Sutlej all originate in Tibet, basically, as does the Mekong. So you've got Tibet up there, mm-hmm. glaciers, lovely load of flow coming down, you know, in all directions. And China's saying, well, you know, this is ours and, yeah. and we're going to use it. Thank you very much. And then, you know, you've got like Pakistan, which has got basically 76% of its water needs originate outside of the country. Because it's not a proper country, is it? Because it was you know, created by the British, effectively. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, you sort of see now why geographical nations formed themselves in certain ways, so they had protective resources. And Pakistan is just screwed by this, really. But anyway, that's a bit of politics. <laughs> I didn't mind it. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> so there's uh, there's the Brahm- Brahmaputra River in India, northern India, and China's planning to build the world's largest dam on the basic, like their side of the border. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny. It's not but funny. But it is also quite funny. No, I mean, there's like estimated 1.8 billion people sort of fed by this river or, or watered by this river, I should say. And 60% of Bangladesh's population re- relies on it. And the Chinese are just saying, well, we need the power. We need the electricity. So I'm afraid we're going to put a dam in there. I mean, it's not just the Chinese, right? So no, no, of course not. Tur- Turkey hasn't covered itself in glory either, because it's it's dammed. Uh, it's got the Elisu Dam on the Tigris. Waters flow into Syria, Iraq, and Iran, and they basically halved the flow into Iraq. So in 2019, people got really ill because the water just seemed to be more and more polluted. And partly that was so in Basra, particularly. People had started polluting the water anyway, and then the Chinese, uh, sorry, the Turkish reduction in the volume just made it more and more concentrated pollution. Uh, you, and you had like 120,000 people in hospital in Basra going to hospital. All, all due to the water pollution? Basically due to the water pollution. Wow. And then you, know, you reduce the flow and then at the other end, the salt water comes up basically to take the, you know, it, it can flow further up the river. So you, you're ruining agricultural oh, yeah, lands yeah, yeah. At, the, at the bottom. So, you know, this kind of stuff matters, which is why um, so Egypt and Sudan did a joint war exercise last year uh, called Guardians of the Nile. <laughs> and basically it was, on, it was on the Ethiopian border because the Ethiopians are also talking about building a dam and saying, you know, okay, this is our water right here. It, yeah, I, I mean, it's, really, it's a nightmare. It's, it's, it's a... This is when you realise that you've had quite a sort of British-centric blinkered view because I just hadn't really thought about where your water originates because obviously 
Because all of our is is in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, global issues. You know, you know, and and you can imagine that this sort of can escalate potentially. Of course, yeah. Something which is which is be fuming if someone's saying to you, "Oh, yeah, that your main river." that supplies you with water. We're just going to dam it just over the border. And you can, <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. And, there, you know, there isn't really, is there? So, you know... No. It's, it's, and, and, of course, with climate change, that's going to sort of get worse, isn't it? Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dr. Paul there sort of mentioned climate change briefly. I assume climate change is going to affect our access to water and probably not help the situation massively. This is what he had to say. Climate change is changing many of the natural systems, including the water cycle. So what that means in practice is that the climate that we've had for the, um, let's say, past 10,000 years, which was uh, fairly stable and uh, which is a period that, you know, geologically is called the Holocene because uh, that was the the stable climate that enabled in many ways uh, human civilization. This is changing and we're now talking about being in the Anthropocene. That means uh, humans have already in many ways uh, changed many of the of the earth systems if you're not careful we might tip the the earth system into a totally new equilibrium now in itself for the earth that doesn't matter that much it will it will just change as it has changed in the past but for us we are dependent on the weather and on the stability or we have been dependent on that stability as i said during the course of human civilization so it's really unclear how we are going to deal with a very different world in the future now that doesn't necessarily mean a horror scenario because we also have 
a lot of new technological means and, and societal resilience to deal with this. But a change is coming and it's a, and it's a big change. And so if, uh, let's say, there's a certain, a certain region where we used to have a certain amount of precipitation and we don't have that anymore, or we have far more, um, then we don't really have uh, the, um, the natural infrastructure and, and the livelihoods that are adapted uh, to, that, to that new reality. So if it's too dry, then perhaps uh, farming uh, becomes impossible or even um, herding becomes impossible. And if it's uh, too wet, uh, we'll, uh, we'll need um, you know, a lot of uh, flood defenses in order to you know, defend the way we are living and, and where we are living. And uh, so it'll change you know, where we live, what we can eat, and so on and so forth. I, I listened to him say that and talked about the Holocene, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, Holocene, what's that mean? Because I know we're sort of, people say we're now in the Anthropocene, yeah. which you can say is, you know, anth- Anthro means like human-centered mm-hmm. era. Right? So I was like, oh, I don't know what the Holocene actually means. So I looked it up. And uh, do you know what it means? No. It means most recent era. I mean, isn't that a terrible name? That was given yeah. in 1850. Yeah. Somebody said, I'll tell you what we should call this era. Now. And, and it's really? not really going to survive, is it? The, the, Lazy. I mean, it's not aging well. No. Yeah. So so we're in the Anthropocene now, which is incredibly you know, sort of apposite, really. I mean, it is the name, isn't it? Because we are affecting the planet on a global scale. Yeah. And it didn't sound massively... Um, optimistic, what Dr. Paul was saying there. <laughs> like, yeah, it might be okay. There was a little bit of techno op- optimism thrown in where he's like, yeah, it might be that we uh, yeah, come up with some technology that will make it all okay. But fundamentally, climate change might make some places just too dry. Yeah. Nightmare. Some yeah. places too wet. Yeah. Um, it's all just like extremes. Like, um, any extreme is bad. That's that's the huge problem with it. So you, what you do is areas that are prone to droughts just get more and more droughts. Areas that are prone to flooding get more and more flooding. So the kind of inequity of, of you know, and, and, and the everything flooding gets Everything exacerbated. just gets worse. So, yeah. so apparently a, a global temperature rise of two degrees would increase the number of people suffering from water scarcity by 40%. And two degrees isn't that far off what we're no. looking at, really. No. So this is a problem that's only going to get worse with climate change. And what we've seen is like a massive increase in flood-related disasters already. Mm. You know, so so when you when you sort of chart them, sort of over the last well over the course of this century so far, it's gone up 134 percent. And the drought, droughts have increased by 29 percent apparently. So so you know what we're saying about extreme weather just. Yeah, you know, it gets worse and worse and worse. So the frequency of these extreme weather events, yeah, is exactly. Mm. And the the weird thing, I mean, obviously it happens in areas of the world that you know we're quite insulated from in some ways, but we sort of tend to see those areas of the world as being like conflict areas, like you know Somalia and um, Somalia is a good example actually, because last year or no, in twenty twenty it was um, all the displacements of people. Three quarters of those were to do with water scarcity, nothing to do with conflict at all. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, a quarter of them were conflict, but, you know, three quarters were just people going looking for water because you can't live without it. Can you make me feel any better here? Not really. So by 2040, you've got one in four children living in areas of high water stress. And, of course, uh, rising sea levels. What happens Mm -hmm. there? 
where you start to lose your low-lying sort of coastal cities and inhabitable areas. And they become salt water. So they're yeah. all like all yeah. the agricultural yeah. land by the sea mm. becomes salty water land that you can't farm. Useless for yeah. farming. I mean, the amazing thing. When is, we say, sorry, can I ask? When we say high water stress, do we mean in both directions? So either somewhere where it's flooding, yeah, or where it's unbelievably dry. Yeah, because if you get flooding, then what you can't do is treat the water in any way. So you can't mm-hmm. maintain sanitation. Right. Um, you can't keep wells, you know, pure. They basically get contaminated really badly. So too much water is, as, you know, in some ways as bad as not enough. In that people don't die from the water, or that they die from the contaminants within the water. So, you know, it's it's not good either way. Um, the amazing thing is that actually our problems with water um, actually make climate change worse as well. So at the moment, we don't treat 80% of the global wastewater. It just sort of gets released back into the sort of gen- general sort of, you know, rivers, fence, brackish areas and everything else. And, um, and lots of that has organic matter in it that then decomposes and produces methane really powerful greenhouse gassing uh, gases. So, yeah, I mean, it's not great. Bad feedback loop to be in. <laughs> yeah, very much so. But there is hope. All right, so, so there is the possibility that we can alleviate water problems because, you know, you look at the ocean and you say, can't drink that. Mm. Or can I? Or can I? Maybe I can just take the salt out of it. So we asked Dr. Paul, if we're short of fresh water, why not just convert seawater? That- that is, weirdly, it's the thing that if you ask a child, it's the first thing that you think when you say there's water scarcity and you just go, but what about all of the water? <laughs> the planet's covered in water. <laughs> Can we do something with that? Well, let's see what he had to say. It's a good question. And hypothetically, we could. I mean, it, it just takes a l- huge amount of energy to desalinate water. And so it's uh, it's still quite expensive it's not that expensive but it's expensive and, and and as i said i mean most of the water is being used for very little added value in farming so it's not really worth it to desalinate water to then use for farming of course it, it's used for it's uh, it's worth it for producing drinking water but not for just um uh, covering the ground with it so yes in in hypothetically we could but on the other hand i mean there is a lot of fresh water that is available and and there's a huge wastage <laughs> of water and the cheaper option rather than desalinating um, uh, ocean uh, ocean water would be to to um, to introduce better mechanisms uh, for um, shifting the demand for water and for making people um, more aware of its value Okay, so expensive. It feels to me like there should be a way of harnessing the sun. So you're just sort of getting, you're taking a load of seawater and then you're using the energy from the sun to evaporate the water, leaving leaving the salt, and then you collect the evaporated water. It condenses and then it sort of, you know, yeah, you know what I mean? Like yeah, like I that. do. I mean, it, it sort of feels like the obvious thing to do. And, yeah. and people are using like heat flashes to, to kind of to do that to a certain degree. But what mm. they don't do necessarily is like go all the way down to just the salt left. Right. Because okay. it becomes, I guess, diminishing returns. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, there's, there's lots of desalination plants. The other thing you can do is like osmosis. So like, you know how in cells 
if you get yes. if you get um too much salt in your in your body basically the your your uh, kidneys will filter it out mm-hmm. uh, but your biological cells they will all filter it out you know because um they they're able to sort of decrease the decrease the salinity of the the water in your body and you can do the same thing just by creating filters where you pump water up against a membrane mm-hmm. that traps the salts but pushes through the actual water molecule so you end up with water on the other side and you just like harness that off and that's i mean that's energy intensive obviously because i was gonna say because uh, yeah osmosis uh is going in the other direction yeah so this is reverse osmosis so you have to put energy in for it to yeah 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 so um so you can do that and there's lots of plants around the world that are sort of trying various forms of desalination a lot of them in the middle east so so there's massive amounts in sort of so that in fact the 10 biggest plants are in uae Saudi Arabia, Israel, and Dubai. Mm-hmm. So, so that's where the sort of the you know the big mean desalination plants are. But this kind no, of m- makes more. sense. Hot, yeah, yeah. To see there, yeah, yeah. Presumably they're using some solar energy as well. You'd have thought. You'd, you'd assume. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm I'm not a genius, yeah. but they can have that one for free if they like. <laughs> You're very welcome, guys. <laughs> but I mean, there's this uh, in Singapore. They they do it in California. Uh, Lanzarote. I didn't realize. I was looking into this Lanzarote. I mean, I've been to Lanzarote a few times. And. And I've obviously drunk How's the water. I've drunk desalinated water. Um, I didn't notice it. Didn't well, notice anything about it. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Uh, there's one in Beckton, East London. Oh yeah, yeah, desalination plant. And so, what, are they, what are they using? Well, presumably you know, Thames Estuary water. No, but what's the what's the process? Oh, where I don't where know. are they getting the I energy didn't from? Look. It's not going to be solar, is it, in Beckton? I wouldn't have thought so, no. <laughs> yeah, we've got another glass full for you if, you, if, if anyone wants it. <laughs> and the other problem with, with desalination, which I hadn't really clocked until I, until I started looking into this, is that you end up with, like, um, you've got your sort of briny, more briny water that's yeah, left very, over. Very, very salty Very salty yeah. water. And a lot of places just tend to, like, chuck that back into the sea. Ah, and you sort of think, well, it's just salt water going into the sea. That should be fine, shouldn't it? But actually, what's happening is you're making the area in which you pump out that water extremely, salty. extremely salty. So there's a couple of places in China where they're now losing biodiversity because of the the extremely salty water that they're putting back in. In California, you're not, just not allowed to do that. You have to find another way. And, and you know, so the Californian desalination plants, uh, they have to either pump it out sort of very slowly and, and, and or with sort of dispersants so that it's, it's not all concentrated in one place, or they have to find other ways to do it. And there's plants sort of being set up to do the whole, like, you know, let's reduce it all the way back to salt mm. and and just take all the water. But that's there's diminishing so, returns. It's, it's not, so it's not energy. energy you yeah. have to put in to do yeah, that. Exactly. Mm. It's not energy efficient so so although you know we want to say yes desalination should work actually it's not going to be that sort of magic bullet that we're kind of hoping for okay so the question that we're asking is will the next war be about water and to be honest from what you're saying people are already fighting over it climate change is going to make it worse desalination isn't gonna solve the problem on its own, at least. So it feels like... <laughs> that's depressing. It feels like the answer might be yes. Shall we see what Dr. Paul had to say? Yeah. No, I don't think we will go to war over water. I think water can lead to conflict, usually non-violent conflict, and thereby 
indirectly contribute to tensions and fragility, but I don't think uh, we'll see a, a, a full-blown uh, water war, and certainly not between countries. I'm genuinely delighted to hear that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, what's I, the what's, what's the read, reasoning? Well, I've read so many like, articles that say, "Oh, next war's going to be about water." Mm. Yeah, water wars. It sounds good, doesn't catchy, it? Isn't it? It yeah. is catchy. Um, the reason is that India can't just march into China and say, "You're not building that dam." I mean. The, there's just a disparity, a sort right. of inequality yeah. of power, effectively, mm-hmm, isn't mm-hmm, there? Mm-hmm. And so if you're geographically lucky and mm. you sort of sit in that place where all the water is and where it's all coming from, like, you know, Tibet, for instance, mm. uh, happens to be, you know, arguably in China, yeah, part of China. Let's not get into that, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, China's very much taking uh, Tibet as, as its own. Yeah, uh, back to Tibet. Yeah, and, and of course, that's the source. So, mm. yeah, that's the source of all this stuff. And India, I mean, China's, you know, you're not going to go to war with China because you just aren't going to win. Yeah. And you're yeah, not going to yeah, march yeah. in and break the dam or whatever. Um, so so there's not going to be a war, partly because the people on the receiving end of the problem just haven't got the resources so, to fight. So, yeah. So what I'm wondering is if that is a coincidence or it's a feature of the geography. So is it a coincidence that the countries who are going to get screwed over by the other country, the adjacent country putting a dam in, they're not in a position to attack. Whereas if it was the other way around, so if it was India putting a dam up and it meant that it was restricting China's access to water, and China might invade India. Yeah. Because they, they would feel like that's, a, that's something they could win. Yeah, it's not something you can't see happening, is it? I mean, no. Yeah, so I, I, I wonder... Is, is, that, is that coincidence? That's really interesting. Well, I think it kind of is geographical coincidence because China itself has, you know, massive amounts of poverty. Has, you know, it wants the power, you know, the the energy from mm. these dams because it really needs it to sort of, you know, lift its population. It's got lots of desert. It's got, mm. you know, it's not got a huge amount going for it really, except it's got this water. Mm. So I would say that the power that they have doesn't come from the water itself. It's just, you know, they they happen to have the water. And they are a powerful nation. Mm, mm. So, what about Turkey? Who's not going to invade Turkey? Well, I suppose Iraq's not. Iran, going to Iraq, Syria. It no, doesn't feel not, likely they're no. going to band together and, and no. just like going to Turkey, does it? No. And I imagine that you know, as Doctor Pohl does, there's a lot of behind behind the scenes diplomacy that goes on to sort of try and stop you know anyone. Please don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. We really need that water, yeah, guys. Yeah. You really need that water, but but you know, let us find a, a different kind of solution. So mm. it, you know, interestingly, it seems obvious that it's something you should go to war over because it's so essential to life. But actually, the the sort of real politic of it yeah. says that you know that's not going to happen. So that's good. So uh, yeah. we're saying a large scale, like maybe little skirmishes, but a large scale conflict, large scale violent war does seem unlikely. Then, yeah, I'm much happier at the end of this episode than I was at the start. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Eureka is a stack production presented by Dr. Michael Brooks and Rick Edwards. The production team is Temi Adebayo, Katie Baxter, Luke Moore and Charlie Morgan. Sound design by Katie Baxter. 
Special thanks to today's expert, Dr. Benjamin Pohl. Please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It does make a massive difference. You can also find us on Twitter at EurekaPod. We also really love hearing from you guys. So if you have any burning questions you want answering, drop us an email at eureka at stack.london. Uh, that's S-T-A-K dot London. Or you can always find us on Twitter at EurekaPod. Thanks. Eureka is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.